Howdy, and welcome to Wise About Texas, the Texas history podcast. I'm your host, Ken Wise. Thank you all so much for tuning in today for a little bit of Texas history. Happy New Year. This uh, podcast episode is being recorded and released in January 2021, so I hope everyone had a very Merry Christmas, and I hope that 2021 is a happy and prosperous year for you. Well, today, we're going to talk about a town. Now, I've mentioned before that Texas has always been about land, and one of the ways that land speculators would try and make money is to buy a piece of land near where they thought a railroad might be built. Now, this might sound familiar. It's the same way we do it today in the real estate business. Uh, This time, the railroad's a little bit less important, and we're into roads and building roads and proximities to freeways and curb cuts and entrances and all that stuff that you got to deal with when you're developing real estate but in the old days it was a railroad and the railroad might mean a difference between a town's survival and a town's demise so today is a story about just such a situation Uh, although this town was built for farming or so its promoters claimed and this story is a good example of the type of development that was attempted in the early 20th century Um, promoters from out of state would buy land in Texas because it was relatively inexpensive and then try to sell it off and one of the ways they would do that was to settle people from outside Texas get them to move down here and start a new life now I suppose that's continuing in modern times I heard just yesterday that Texas Arizona and Florida were the three states where uh, people moving within the United States uh, are moving to in the greatest quantities and of course that's been true for Texas for several years Um, but we're going to look at at how that uh, operated in the early 1900s so we're going to go back to 1909 to get wise about Texas now Texas in the early 20th century was really in the process of populating Um, and what I mean by that is the Indian Wars had ended in the 1870s. The far west Texas area and the panhandle areas had been largely organized. Now we continued to create counties, but usually in this time period the counties were created um, from other counties. Uh, And then the organization of a county, of course, a little bit different than the creation. But, um, and I think the last, by the way, a little trivia, I think the last county to be organized in Texas was Loving County, and I think it was in the 30s. Uh, listeners look that up send me an email host at wise about texas but uh, it was time for texas's population to grow so real estate developers sought opportunity uh, on the vast areas of vacant land uh, that might be marketable to folks who wanted to make their own way and have their own piece of land well early 20th century it sounded a lot like texas in the early 19th century didn't it that was the same reason that people came here with Austin's colony and all the early impresarios was all this great land. Well, one of these uh, groups was headquartered in Kansas City, Missouri. And the company they formed was called the Providence City Land Company. And it was formed for the purpose of promoting a settlement on land they purchased roughly where uh, four counties came together, Lavaca, Jackson, Colorado, and Wharton County. So 
I would generally describe this as the El Campo area, for those of you who are reasonably familiar with Texas, down uh, US 59, and where those counties, basically where those counties kind of came together, the group purchased several thousand acres and immediately began promoting the project. Um, And they promoted it to people in an area where uh, there wasn't a whole lot known, perhaps, about what Texas was like. So the sales pitch was basically, come down to Texas, you can farm for a living, you can grow crops all year, and you can do it on less land than it, than it requires uh, in your area of the United States. That was the basics. So the Provident Land Company even published a magazine. They called the magazine the Home Finder, and here's the mission statement of the magazine. It, uh, it says, quote, devoted to the interests of the farmer, fruit grower, truck gardener, and investor with a special reference to the Provident Tract, Gulf Coast Country of Texas, close quote. So what they tried to create with this Home Finder magazine was the impression that this was just a magazine trying to help people who might want to move to a, a um, successful farming area, uh, and we are going to especially reference the Provident Tract. Well, of course, what this is is a sales brochure. So uh, I'm going to give you some examples from this sales brochure dated September 1, 1911. And the reason I'm using 1911 is because um, I've got a complete copy of this. But uh, I mentioned in the intro 1909, so Provident City was founded earlier than this. Uh, but this uh, we're going to use this magazine as sort of typical of how they were advertising from the beginning. So on the on the second page of the magazine, this, so the first page with text on it, um, the first headline you see, what you see are a series of things that appear to be articles and then a series of letters, which of course are designed to create the impression that these are just uh, random people who have uh, concerned citizens who have written in to talk about how great Provident City is. But the first headline says produce season success and the subheading is the longest of any state in the union and the products of the best quality and it goes on to talk about how great uh, the texas growing season is and uh, one sentence that i love says quote in the list of garden stuff grown in texas is included every kind of vegetables and fruit so uh, i am not a farmer but any of you who are in the Uh, farming business listening to this. I'm not sure every kind of vegetable and fruit known to man can be grown in the state of Texas, but uh, as far as the folks in Kansas City who were getting this magazine were concerned, uh, perhaps it could, or that's certainly what the developers hoped. And there's a couple of letters on this same page. One uh, dated July 1911 from a man named Robert McGee, or purportedly from a a man named Robert McGee, addressed to the Provident Land Company, talks about how great his onion crop was, and it was so good uh, that he ate all he could and sold the rest, to borrow a a marketing phrase from one of our local ice cream companies. But uh, at the last uh, paragraph of that says, this is the second crop of onions I've raised on this ground, and I've never fertilized it. So uh, certainly that would be attractive for farmers wanting to cut their costs. 
uh, it goes on to talk about various crops, the different crops they would say uh, that you could grow. The masthead of the home finder appears uh, three or four pages in, and it talks about uh, the Provident Land Company being the publisher, um, and goes on to talk about more crops, talks about cotton, talks about cabbage, uh, talks about um, two crops of tomatoes that uh, a man named Scott grew two crops of tomato, uh, tomatoes, canned them himself, and um, that his, uh, his tomatoes are more in demand than any other canned tomatoes in the region. And the byline is Providence City Times, as if this is a real newspaper article merely reprinted. Um, on that same page, there's a headline that says the 10-acre farm. And the subheading of this is 90% of them in Texas have proven successful. And the article goes on to describe how you can make a living farming only 10 acres. Uh, and coincidentally, you can do so in the area that is Providence City. Providence City had a baseball team. Um, as a matter of fact, they competed against... Uh, various amateur baseball teams around South Texas, and they published a picture of the Providence City baseball team and, of course, uh, pointed out that they were strong contestants for the championship among all the baseball teams. Um, there was a letter from the uh, alleged business group in Chicago that uh, they had formed a company called uh, the Chicago Landowners Association of the Provident Tract on the Gulf Coast, Texas. And they called, they uh, sort of like a Chicago Chamber of Commerce for this tiny town on the coastal prairie of Texas. So, um, and was alleged to be a group of folks that owned land in the Provident Tract. Whether they did or not, we don't know. But it goes on to talk about how happy they are how there's going to be a railroad, how the weather is so great. It talks about uh, my favorite line from this letter discusses the temperature in this area of Texas, the average temperature, it says, quote, temperature average about 78 degrees throughout the summer months and about 65 degrees from December to March 1st. Now, I've spent my whole life in the southeast area of Texas, and the only time you're going to get a 78-degree average is if you set your air in the summer is if you set your air conditioner to 78 degrees or you take the temperature about three o'clock in the morning because that's the only time it's ever getting down to 78 degrees in the summer. Um, anyway, you go on through the home finder and you see advertisements. One has, has corn, corn, corn written across the top of the entire page. Talks about yields of 70 to 100 bushels per acre per acre in the coast country of Texas. And then it goes on to talk about, of course, uh, point out that Providence City is in the coast country of Texas. Uh, it talks about how to grow the corn. So you've got not only advertisements for how great it is, but also a user manual on what you do after you decide to buy a tract. Uh, they published pictures of various houses being built in Providence City. And one of the things that uh, occurs, if you look at these pictures, you will notice that the houses appear to be alone on the prairie and there are no other houses around them. Um, so, but I suppose by the time you got to that uh, part of the magazine, you were already sort of thinking uh, about more about the farming. 
um, it did go on to talk about uh, there was just a blatant advertisement for Providence City that ta- that said this: the railroad now building from Providence City East will go right through the center of our lands, uh, and that's going to be important. I'll talk about that in a second. But um, uh, this is a, a remarkable magazine. Uh, one headline, as you might expect in such a magazine, uh, toward the back says, "While you are hesitating, others are buying. Act today." And it talks about now how to start uh, actually buying the land. There was an advertisement on one page in German uh, because this this land, the closest uh, substantial town at the time, or, or the newspaper that published the most, let me say it that way. I don't want to say it about the town, but the newspaper that published the most about Providence City right around the time of its founding was the Hallettsville Herald. And, of course, that was a big German area of Texas. So you had an ad in German. Um, because no doubt uh, Germans reading this in Missouri or Chicago or anywhere in the Midwest would have relatives that may have settled in Texas. Um, there's a page dedicated to uh, two ways to buy the land. You can either pay cash or um, the helpful folks at the Provident Land Company would finance it for you. Um, and then there are some discussions about how bountiful the crops uh, from Texas are. So anyway, this was a very heavily uh, promoted area. They uh, said that everybody that comes down here, you're going to find that you can raise um, more crops on less land than anywhere else. And don't worry, we're going to build all this infrastructure and create uh, the most prosperous farming community community you've ever seen. So what happened? Well, Before that 1911 magazine, which, uh, and I have copies, I don't have the original magazine, but no doubt it was a very slick publication, Um, they needed to get a little bit up and running, get a few people down there. And so the first thing they did was, uh, and when I say they, I mean the Provident Land Company and the promoters, was promote that a railroad would be built that would connect the town of Glenflora which is just uh, northwest of Wharton, uh, straight west through the Providence City track and uh, would allow, of course, crops to be shipped on the railroad and have all the attendant town building that occurred when a railroad went through town. So let's go back to the old newspapers and see how they did. Uh, There's an article from the Eagle Lake newspaper in 1909, and it talks about Uh, It was actually a reprint of an article that appeared in the Houston Chronicle. And usually when you had these small newspapers reprinting big city newspapers articles, they were probably a week later, maybe even two weeks later. So this is probably originally in the Houston Chronicle in uh, mid-August 1909. And it talks about surveying the railroad near Provident City and uh, that one representative of the railroad thought that grading would begin on the railroad around October 1st of 1909. Well, they didn't bank October 1st, 1909, uh, but there is an article uh, talking about October 1st, 1910. And on October 1st, 1910, um, about 500 people gathered in Providence City and they had sort of a groundbreaking of grading operations for this railroad. And this article talks about the railroad connecting Glenflora 
um, which was on the Santa Fe Railroad to Pierce, Texas, which is right along Highway 59, and that was on the Southern Pacific Railroad. So this was going to be uh, a spur that connected those two. That the 500 people gathered, and the president of the railroad, Colonel J.D. McManus, uh, gave a speech, and then he introduced a man named Kerry Shaw, who was of Houston, the vice president of the railroad. And the article refers to Shaw as one of the greatest railroad builders of the South. It also talks about, it, it says, Shaw, I'm going to quote this, Mr. Shaw spoke of the past, present, and the great future, now assured for this country, and was received with much enthusiasm by the people present, close quote. So no doubt the people present largely were the folks from Kansas City and environs that had bought lots in Providence City and were trying to raise their two crops a year on less than 10 acres. Um, they had more speeches and uh, placed the first shovelful of dirt on the grade. And uh, the article says, as that was done at the same time, it assured the future of Providence City as one of the best towns in the Gulf Coast country. But my favorite part of this article is the last clause of the last sentence, which says, quote, And now, after many months of waiting, the people of Providence City and vicinity can truthfully say to all the doubters and knockers that he who laughs last laughs best. Close quote. That article is from the uh, Weimar Mercury in October of 1910. Um, well, fast forward to April 1911, and we read the newspaper uh, from the area that references a resident of Providence City uh, stating that work is still progressing on the Providence City Railroad, though very slowly. It goes on to say that another man claiming to be from Providence City um, called and gave the same bit of information. Now, the last sentence of this article says, quote, We had never seen the man before, but believing, of course, the item of news having been given us in good faith, we printed it, close quote. Well, there's your anonymous source that's causing us so much trouble uh, in these modern times. But anyway, back in 1911, that was good enough. And uh, you can see that uh, perhaps this railroad's not getting built quite as quickly as everyone certainly had hoped and most probably expected. However, the good folks of Providence City were going about um, making a town because uh, what eventually got built, I'll just fast forward to the end, was they built a bank they built a two-story schoolhouse, they built a general store, and they built a very elegant hotel. Now, that hotel would have been critically important because if you're going to visit the area, um, you're going to need a place to stay while you look for your ideal 10 or 20-acre tract. And so the hotel was uh, very grand and, of course, would serve uh, as an important part of the town as the railroad came through because the railroad, a railroad uh, in a town always had a hotel next to it. And in May 1911, uh, the Chamber of Commerce, which was called the Providence City Commercial Club, met, and uh, they ordered a $500 stock issue to start a canning factory. So obviously there, were, there was some farming success, and they, the townspeople got together and they were going to start their own cannery. Uh, the stock was subscribed at once, and uh, this article talks about work beginning immediately um, and hopefully to have the canning factory built in a month. Uh, the article also says, and this is interesting, that the buildings under construction 
are almost all completed, but several more are just starting. So the rapid growth of the community is still progressing. So what we learned from this article is that in May 1911, not even two full years from the beginning of Providence City, um, it's blowing and going. They're building buildings. Uh, they're completing construction. Uh, there's a furniture store. Uh, there's a meat market about to open. And uh, things are going nicely because, of course, they believe the railroad's going to be built. In fact, in addition to uh, the buildings I mentioned earlier, I said the grocery store was getting completed. The Grand Hotel, the canning factory, did, in fact, uh, go into operation. There are such things as Providence City tomatoes, and some of those cans will survive. Uh, they had a broom factory, they had a doctor, they had a blacksmith shop, and they even had a post office in Providence City. And the early settlers hung on. There was a, uh, actually a cemetery that was built a little bit away from the main part of the town. So you had the settlers, you had the, the infrastructure, you had the schoolhouse, you had the cemetery, you even had the railroad grade. Um, the problem was you didn't have any rails. In fact, you would never have any rails. As you might have already guessed, the railroad never got built. And not only did the railroad never get built, the two crops a year on your 10 or 20 acre farm never materialized. The folks got down there and they discovered that uh, it was not the world's greatest farming land. Um, they discovered that they should have listened to the locals when the locals said, hey, I wouldn't buy this land. It's not exactly what they're telling you. Of course, the promoters countered that these are old, salty Texas cattlemen that just don't want anybody moving in and et cetera, et cetera. So these poor folks got down there. They built a pretty nice place to live and uh, never got the railroad they were promised and discovered very soon that the land was not exactly as advertised. By 1913, things were pretty bleak. Uh, there's an article from July of 1913, and uh, the reporter quotes a resident of uh, what's called the seclusion section near Providence City. And here's what he said, quote, Everybody that was financially able to leave has shook its dust from his or her feet, while the few that still remain are there only because they are as yet not able to get away, close quote. So uh, things were not good in Providence City. He went on, this man went on to say, quote, tar and feathers would be too good for the real estate sharks that were responsible for this wholesale robbery of poor fellows from Kansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma, and other states who bought this land sight unseen on the flattering representations of the sharks aforesaid, close quote. So uh, pretty strong language about these land promoters. A May 1915 article out of Eagle Lake demonstrates that the land promoters were, despite uh, the apparent failure of Providence City, were still selling this land somewhat successfully. It describes that a man came down from Wichita, Kansas, to inspect the 40-acre tract that he had purchased for $40 an acre, a lot of money back then, and uh, had paid for it in cash. And when he got to Providence City, uh, which of course he did not do by railroad because there was no railroad, that he found that the track that he had bought had actually been sold a lot earlier in a sheriff's sale, which would have been uh, delinquent taxes or similar. 
and uh, he didn't even have the 40 acres that he thought he bought. In the end of that article says the following, quote, marked copies of this article will be sent to various leading newspapers in Kansas, Missouri, and other states from where the poor fellows come from that are cheated in this respect. We are going to do what we can to stop this infernal robbery, close quote. So by 1915, it was over. Everybody, at least everybody in Texas knew that Providence City, the railroad was not coming, the farms were not that productive, and everybody that had moved down there had basically been fooled. Now, some people uh, stayed in the city at, at, um, you know, their residences. They probably had no choice but to stay. They couldn't uh, go anywhere. They'd spent all their savings on their house in Providence City. We know the doctor in Providence City was there at least as late as 1917 because he was arrested. Um, that's right. In 19, now, remember, 1917 is during World War I, and uh, it, apparently this doctor uh, made remarks against the government, against the United States flag, and against registration for Army service. He also uh, went into Hallettsville to try to buy a German flag, which is probably the one thing that really got him busted. And this was Dr. T.C. Spencer, and uh, he gets arrested by the sheriff and rung up on the federal charges of sedition, no doubt. So it didn't take long for Providence City to go from a promise of prosperity to a bunch of industrious folks fooled into moving to Texas who managed to build uh, a series of buildings and start a, a going community until it became apparent the railroad was never coming and the farmland was never going to be productive. So Providence City is a pretty succinct and good example of uh, what happened over and over in the state of Texas over the years uh, with unscrupulous land promoters trying to build these towns. And not all of them were unscrupulous, of course. Um, many of them just failed for one reason or the other. But why, why did I pick Providence City? Well, I've been there. Some of it still remains. Uh, in the middle 20th century, uh, a man purchased the area that was Providence City and turned it into a family ranch. And the significance of that is that Grand Hotel, the Railroad Hotel of Providence City, still remains, and it remains in wonderful condition, and it serves as the headquarters of this ranch. And I, uh, the family invited me to go see it, uh, and it is a remarkable uh, example, a step back in time, really, to the earliest 20th century and what it must have been like when you arrived in Providence City full of hope, uh, thinking that this was going to be uh, the road to prosperity for you and your family. So the family has owned uh, the Providence City area for several decades and uses that hotel uh, as sort of the main lodge of the ranch. And it's uh, follow, uh, follow the social media of the show and you'll see pictures from the hotel. And it's really a unique glimpse back in time. The cemetery is still there. Uh, it's overgrown, but uh, we did a little exploring of that. And uh, one of the, the original schoolhouse, the second story, I don't believe is on it anymore, but the original schoolhouse is there. And uh, one or two of the houses that stood in Providence City are still on the land. It's a beautiful place to this day, but if you look around, there's one thing you won't see, and that's the railroad. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Wise About Texas. Follow the show on Instagram or Twitter at Wise About Texas. Like and share the Wise About Texas Facebook page. 
If you'd like to support the preservation and promotion of Texas history, you can go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, slash wiseabouttexas. Thanks for listening today. Again, a happy 2021 to everyone as this episode is the first one released in 2021. It's going to be a great year. Go out and do something for Texas today. And until next time, God bless Texas, and we'll see you down the road.